Hi, everyone. Uh, today, we've got uh, Dr. James Hoffman and Dr. Mike Isertel of Renaissance Periodization on the podcast. Uh, the day that you hear this, in a couple of days, we'll have them in Calgary for a two-day seminar. So if you're in the general area, you might want to check that out last minute. We brought them on to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, including overtraining, what's myth, what's true. We uh, get into their RP's book, Recovering from Training, and how looking at some of the considerations for recovery and what matters for everyday people and what's the frou-frou biohacking type bullshit that's out there that doesn't actually make a difference. We get into some talk about deception in the fitness industry, particularly when it comes to weight loss side of stuff. And then we get Mike going about his thoughts on how a lot of fitness professionals, people in our industry can get into some pretty deep polarization on political and social issues. So we get into a really, really in-depth conversation about some of the dangers there, it's actually really thoughtful. You know, this sort of stuff tends to get people all riled up, but it's it's going to be a really intel, intelligent discussion of it, so it's really worth listening to. The guys are great. Hopefully, you'll love the episode. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Shut up and sit down. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today with our guests, Dr. James Hoffman and Dr. Mike Isertel of Renaissance Periodization. Uh, these guys are actually speaking at a two-day training, nutrition, and recovery seminar in Calgary on the 13th and 14th. So that's, when you get this, it'll probably like a couple days from now, but we're hoping that people find out about this and go, hey, shit, I want to go there. That's awesome. So uh, yeah, we figured we want to squeeze you in last minute and hopefully we get more people check it out. So welcome, uh, guys. Welcome back, Mike. Yeah, what's going on? Thanks. I guess thanks for having us guys. We should we should start off with what have you been up to lately, Mike? It's been accounted. It's been like 20 weeks. And I, I don't know if you've gotten bigger, smaller. Seems like you've been doing a few things. Yeah. I quit tra- I quit training. <laughs> <laughs> you got married, man. Yeah, yeah success. I was only ever trying to get Jack to attract women and now that I'm technically married, there's really no uh reason for me there's a lot of what is that what was that background noise crystal i can hear her <laughs> say what we, i can hear crystal in the background well the, the funny thing is we're gonna have a little bit of background noise andrew's actually doing this at work um mike and i seem to be oh. in quiet places so yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not crystal james crystal's at a doctor's office somewhere oh is it it sounded like her i just assumed it was her just loud some loud person <laughs> you should turn around andrew and tell her like mike Isertel said, shut the fuck up. Yeah. You should fake laugh and be like, God, that's so funny, Amanda, or whatever her name is. And she'll be like, well, I, didn't, I wasn't even making a joke. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Can you hear us? I hope not. No, no, no. Nobody could hear us. They can't hear us. All good. Okay. She's um, not doing this let, let me know if it gets loud, and I'll see if I can. No do worries. Something. No, it's, it's fine. Not, man. not exactly what I'd call a workplace voice. You know, I'm sure a lot of other people at your work kind of wish that woman was. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm sure she'll never listen to this, but Hopefully. if she does, it'll you know. It just make you know what it, it makes it real. Like we're not the Joe Rogan podcast. You know, like we're just a, we're just no. A mom I thought pop this shop. was Joe Rogan. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we were working on getting Lane. Lane actually said he'd appear on ours, and I'll get him eventually. But uh, we won't now, man. Rogan instead, so that's fine. Yeah, he's yeah, internet he famous. On Joe. Yeah, he, he's too big for us now. He's fucking gone. Next he next too, level. <laughs> he was too what big is, for us from the start. Yeah. What does that say about us? Joe Rogan didn't go to you, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, not big enough. Nope. <laughs> 
Well, let's uh, let's actually let James have a little bit of um, the uh, platform. So obviously Mike's back for the third time. So anyone who's been a longtime listener, hopefully they know who Mike is. If you don't, there's something wrong. Uh, but uh, James, I was hoping you could actually introduce yourself uh, a bit about your background and how you came to be a part of RP. And of course, I was also curious, how is it? What's it like working with Mike for a living? How painful is that? It's just just purgatory i just can't get out and he just follows me around everywhere no i'm just kidding it's great uh i uh mike and i went to the same school together in fact we both were doing our phds at east tennessee state mike was in the year before me so we overlapped for about two years so mike uh graduated the uh, year before i did and kind of towards uh the last year mike was um still working on his PhD. He had already started working with Nick and uh, RP was kind of in its early stages. And he was like, Hey, you know, starting to get a little bit bigger, need a little bit more help. Would you be interested? And at first I said no. Uh, and then um, <laughs> because I was concerned with my schoolwork and then Mike kind of pushed and prod me a little bit, which I'm very grateful for. And then later I said, okay, sure. And uh, as I was finishing my PhD, I got involved with RP and um, now I do RP full time, which is great. And uh, for the most part, like you guys were joking about before, Mike and I can do a lot of the work without pants on and hang out and <laughs> shoot the shit a lot. No, it's really great. Um, I have a background in sport physiology, same as Mike. Uh, I've been involved in football, wrestling, um, martial arts, and rugby are my kind of main interests in sports. And uh, yeah, Mike and I share a, a quite a similar background. And I, despite uh, any jokes aside, it is great working with Mike. It's like being able to work with one of your best buddies. So, well, it actually, it is that. It's not like that. It's, it is that. Have you, have you guys you spend time at? Temple University as well. Were you guys there at the same time? Or? Yeah. So this time we had flip-flopped where um, Temple was my first big boy job <laughs> outside of school and I was working there. And at the time, Mike had already been working at uh, Missouri and was kind of looking for a change of pace. And we had a job position opened. And then so it just worked out really well. And Mike came over and spent uh, about a year, I think, right, Mike? We were there. For, you were there. We overlapped for a year, right? Uh, Two Some, years. Was we it two were at years? Temple together for two years. You were at Temple oh, wow. for three years, my friend. I like Man. that. Uh, I don't know if it was Dean right who said that you did time at Temple, and I was like, yep, that's what it felt like. <laughs> that sounds accurate. It's very accurate. Yeah, and so um, we were both professors at Temple, which was great, and that's um, kind of around the time that RP uh, really started to pick up even more pace uh, than it was before, and um, aside from a, a few other issues, that's when Mike and I decided to make the move to do RP full-time. And uh, Temple was good for us. It was great, but it was we were just ready to move on to bigger, better things. Hey, we've all been in a place where we, we did something, worked for a while, and then it stopped working, and then you grow beyond it. So we're exactly. uh, then the RP money the... came in. No, what was that? Sorry, I said that then the RP money came in, and it was like, ah, you know, we can kind of do this, I think, and work in our underwear. Uh, yeah, that and like the bureaucracy of academia was yeah. really starting to wear on me. Where it was just like every little like thing we had to do needed a meeting, and we had to have a meeting about the wording of each syllabi, and it was just I was just losing my mind with that kind of stuff. Well, I'm sure I'm gonna get Mike going about this stuff, but I mean, we, we are hearing some of the stuff that's going on in in universities now. What is it? The, I think it's Manchester. There's a university in Manchester that has banned clapping because it's supposed what? to be, yeah, what? they're supposed to, I, I guess someone's going to get mad that I make it fun of this, but they're banning clapping from student union events because it could trigger anxiety in some people. And I guess you got to be sensitive to that stuff. And then now they're supposed to use jazz hands. That's literally what they said, jazz hands instead of clapping for ovation. So 
That's kind of how do you like what variation of jazz hands? Like, are they like do they it's fingers only or can they like move the hands? No, (laughs) fingers only. That's cool. That's very minimally caloric. That's 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 bring it on, remember? Because it's just the fingers, and then they're like, no, and then you need the fucking hands. So, like, I mean, there's there's a difference. There's like there's a time and place for a lot of that stuff, and I think there are some like socially egregious offenses that are worth talking about. Like, don't use racial slurs in the classroom, right? We can all agree that that is like ridiculous. But there are some yeah. things yeah. where it's like, you are paying someone a university salary to think of things that are going to be potentially inflammatory to, at infinitum, right? And it's like this is a waste of time and resources. And I, I don't feel bad saying that. And and like I said, I I agree that there are some things that are worth discussing. But yeah, like somebody got paid to sit around and say, you know what? Clapping is too much, too much. <laughs> Somebody's getting paid for that, right? And that's coming out of student fees and everything else. I think it's ridiculous. No, I, I'm lined up with that too. I mean, someone's going to get pissed. We've got a question for more, more so for Mike later. We'll, we'll go back to this, but maybe we should talk training before we get into well, that. <laughs> before we make fun of everything, uh, let, let's, let's just go to something training. So we'll talk about overtraining. And we kind of see all types of this in our industry, this claim that overtraining isn't a thing all the way to overtraining is responsible for like the boogeyman for sleep recovery fucking up your sex life your dick probably shrinks if you go a little too hard where where, from your opinion like where where does the truth lie in this matter mike you want to start it off uh yeah only because you're you're way more qualified to answer so i'll just putter along and then you can correct me um so the you know a couple of things about overtraining James will be more specific about this, but there are different degrees of pushing it too far. It starts with something called functional overreaching. It gets into non-functional overreaching. Then you get into what can be called sort of type type one overtraining, which is fully recoverable given due course of time. And then there's sort of type two overtraining, which permanently cripples you in some sense. And we can talk about what that looks like eventually. Um, and you know, you have to go really far to get that last type. And most people will just quit or lower their volume once they even get into it. It's hard to get regular people to even functionally overreach. Like going one week beyond your capabilities of recovery takes heaven and earth. But there is no shortage of people with enough stupidity to to do that to themselves. I think on average, people are not, uh, you know, you're, you, if you're trained four days a week or whatever, you're probably not ever going to overtrain. It's very hard to do. But if you're a multi-sport athlete or if you have an athlete, let's say a kickboxer who also does weight training, who also does road work, uh, then you are maybe at serious risk of uh, some of those kinds of complications, especially during a fight camp and so on. So I think this is just outlining all that stuff. James, do you want to fill in the blanks? Yeah. So Mike, that was great. Uh, a couple of things that are worth mentioning too is like, like Mike said, um, overreaching, tr- uh, is okay, right? True overtraining syndrome is a chronic state, which in some cases the effects are not reversible. So you can actually fuck yourself up permanently or semi-permanently to get there though, takes an overwhelming amount of pain tolerance and suffering, which most people are just not capable of at some point you'll throw in the towel. All of us will. And it's not an ego check thing. So to really go above and beyond, um, and get to that overtraining syndrome literally requires you to move heaven and earth for a prolonged period of time. In my experience, and actually Mike and I had some candid jokes on our webinar last night uh, about this, really the issue for most people is not so much that um, they're constantly overtraining. 
which a lot of people think they are. They're like, man, I'm not making any gains. Maybe I'm not training. Uh, maybe I'm not doing a good job with my fatigue management. And maybe that's true. But more often than not, what we see is they're probably not actually training hard enough, ironically. So for the people that say overtraining does not exist, that's completely wrong. But they do tend to kind of be closer to the truth in that it's very hard to actually achieve, right? It's not that it doesn't exist. It's just hard to get there. And when you get there, you're fucked for a little bit. And it's going to take a lot of time. But what we find more often than not is when people aren't getting bigger, faster, stronger, that's because they're training too conservatively. They're not actually pushing the pace and doing a good job with that stuff. And that's when we say, okay, train more, start thinking about doing more than you usually do. And then once it becomes hard, then we can start thinking about adding fatigue management strategies to balance that out a little bit. So uh, it's a real thing. It's something that you should be cognizant of. But what we like to tell people is that when you are non-functionally overreaching, borderline overtraining, it will disrupt your life entirely. Like you said, your dick goes limp. You will have disturbances at work. I mean, it, you you will be you will be a walking zombie at that point. The effects are transient across all of your life activities. So there's really no way of not knowing that you're overtraining. That's that's kind of the myth, right? Where it's like you're overtraining, you don't know it. There's there's no way. Everything you do in your life will suffer, and that's kind of the classic. Can't sleep. Can't do anything. Mood mood is always affected. Work suffers. Everything suffers. Training suffers. Everything's done. That's how you know. Yeah, let's just real quick, just to make sure that this is a super, super important point. James always has such a good way of putting these things. Um, super take home message. If you're like, mm, I don't know, do you guys think I might be overtraining? You're not fucking overtraining. <laughs> right, no. Right, but if you guys are like, man, I seriously, like, I don't know how long I can maintain this, and I'm <laughs> getting worse, and I my blood comes out of my eyes every morning, I don't know what that means, <laughs> then maybe you're overtraining. But it's not in one of those, like, I don't know, like, workouts are hard. You guys think I'm doing too much? Shut the fuck up. Like, you're fine. So C.T. Fletcher is pretty much more or less right. You could pretty much go a lot harder. Push it, stop being, you know. He's I, also I, right in the very non-conditional, universally true statement of it's still your motherfucking set, which is true no <laughs> matter what. Like, they actually found that this, like, another satellite of jupiter we didn't know about comma it's still your motherfucking set still applied to that it does there's nothing in that that does not apply to <laughs> yeah so i think he's closer to like being on track but then we could also make a critique of a lot of the things he says and maybe undervaluing fatigue management to, to to some degree right where it's like it's not that you should just keep training hard indefinitely it's that you should train hard when you're training and rest hard when you're resting that's really what we suggest just, just for the record, I think CT is kind of a character and, and mostly an idiot, but uh, I suppose there's probably some funny <laughs> like, shit. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder if blood's come out of his eyes in the morning. Uh, if you guys have seen him lately, have you guys seen that last video he posted? No, I don't watch I've seen shit, him a couple months ago. I know he was ago. in the hospital for something. He so. didn't look well. So he did this thing where he got another big surgery, I think heart-related. And uh, as far to, you know, it's really bad. And then as far as you guys can find this on Instagram, actually, if you find him, um, he did this motivational thing where he came back to training way too soon. Oh, and he tried to do a full sprint in a parking lot and what? he couldn't and he stumbled and he fell onto his face. And I mean that in the very literal sense. And there's blood everywhere. And he's <laughs> talking about how much he loves like the sport and how much he's good willing to die for it. And it's kind of like a lot of his, you know, the people who follow him generally love that kind of shit. But like the majority of the Instagram comments were like, dude, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, take some time away from the, it was just, it was just like, it was, it's almost like 
you get done doing like getting surgery on your bicep and you go do curls to snap your bicep off. You're like, that's how much I love this game. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why? Why are you sprinting also? Like, no, like, it's like literally pointless. You, you just had heart surgery and you go sprint. It doesn't sound like. In context, like, that would be overtraining maybe. Some, who knows what that is, man. That would be relating like, uh, you know, if you get into, uh, what is it, Nassim Taleb's uh, book, Anti-Fragile, and like more stress on your body is good for you, that would be the equivalent of jumping off of an 18-story building yeah. to put stress on your legs. That would be slight overkill, right? <laughs> right. You're not, not going to recover effectively. But, but man, that. did he feel alive in that moment? <laughs> Do you? I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to ask him that. Like, I, know, I was just going to say, I think we can all appreciate those kind of people who uh, who basically advocate for working hard, right? And like putting in work and being dedicated. And like everyone loves that about C.T. Fletcher. But then at the same time, like, yeah, you also do some stupid shit. Um, so maybe you can do smarter and harder. Well, there's a lesson to be learned. Like you can you can go hard, but like you can see that everyone has a limit. So like he's not yeah. unbreakable, which is a silver lining. I don't know. Like why is he sprinting? Poor guy. I feel bad for him. Yeah, it yeah it's, it's a really nasty video. Oof. Andrew, Andrew, hit him with the next one. This is too sad. Like, well, I'm uh, I'm a little over <laughs> halfway through um, recovering from training, so the RP book. Uh, and James, oh, awesome. if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you're the lead on that. I know Mike and you work together on it. Uh, yeah, uh, we all work together on it. I, I had I kind of managed the the end end game of the book a little bit more, but um, yeah, thanks for picking it up. Oh, my pleasure. It's something Mike and I had talked about. Um, and, and I feel like actually it's, it's a must read for people in our industry, trainers, because there's really nothing else out there like it that details uh, in anywhere the kind of level of well, detail uh, that's in there about all aspects of recovery. So I was hoping that you could elaborate on more of the important considerations for recovery for, for the general listener and for trainers. Obviously, you got to go into more depth if you go read the book. And then what are some of the crazy ideas that people have about recovery that just don't fucking matter? Oh, man, I don't even know where to start. So for the average person, right, one of the things that we say uh, and for, for recovery is um, we want to avoid this question in particular. What should I be adding to my current regimen to enhance my recovery? What types of things should I be doing that I'm not doing? When in the, rea the reality is, is that you really should be not necessarily adding things because if you can just add shit to your program all willy nilly, um, your program's probably in disarray, right? That's the problem. If you have the resources and time to just be able to shift things around like, oh, whatever, I'm going to start adding new things. That means you're probably not using them to the best of your ability, right? So one of the first things we tell people is like, hey, you've got to just reevaluate what you're currently doing in order to really get into this discussion on recovery. And the first one being uh, the, what we think is the most important is the volume landmarks, which is managing kind of the minimum maximums uh, of your training doses. So one of the problems that we have right off the bat is kind of with the previous question on overtraining, if you are constantly exceeding the amount of training that you can recover from, there's no fun like sexy drink. There's no amount of like cocaine. There's no <laughs> there's, there's nothing you can do to fix that, right? That's the problem. So if you are constantly over your boundary of recovery from training, there's nothing that you can do at this point except go back to the drawing board and reevaluate what your tolerances are. Likewise, if you are being very conservative all the time and you're like, okay, I did three sets of five on one movement and I'm hoping to be the next uh, Dexter Jackson, like I got bad news for you, homie. You're not doing nearly enough training to even warrant a discussion on recovery. That's a problem. So your chronic undertraining, recovery is not a limiting factor. So we say you got to get a grasp on these volume landmarks. That's probably the biggest, most important thing, not only for productive training, but also to help manage recovery. 
after that, we start looking into things like lifestyle factors. Like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating enough calories every day? Are you spending enough time relaxing? Are you chronically frustrated, stressed out all the time? These are the most important things, right? Most people have this crazy notion like, I need to go and spend more time in the sauna. I need to go get acupuncture. I need to do kumbaya with my hippie friends in the park, right? That's all mostly bullshit, unfortunately. And the reality is, for recovery from hard training and from sport, some very, very fundamental things like calories, macronutrients, sleep, relaxation are the most powerful things you can do. They're not fun necessarily. They're not sexy. They're not a good selling point for a lot of people. But yeah. goddamn, do they work really, really well. So that's what we, we, we've been trying to advocate for years because I know Mike has gotten a lot of messages. I've gotten a lot of messages like, what do you guys think of e-stim? What do you guys think of doing cardio for recovery? And we've been putting it on your dick. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, can't tell you how many face palms we did uh, over the course of several years. And then we said, you know, we should probably just do a book on this and answer a lot of these questions. So people think all sorts of crazy stuff is good for recovery. The one that kills me, I think, the most is uh, sitting in the sauna for like an hour. And I don't know why I have a, a vendetta against that, but it seems to be like a common thing. And man, does that not work? It's just not great. Well, and like the you whole situation, I mean? like contextually, there's probably a bunch of like naked old men around you. Like the whole environment isn't set up for like. <laughs> the optimal like, recovery standards you know well actually, i'm in about I, russian bathhouse yeah Mike. i feel like yeah. i've mentioned this <laughs> once in the podcast before but the old gym i used to work at there was one older gentleman he'd be mid-50s and he would like to go into the steam room in front of other men usually young men and stretch naked like touching your toe style oh, ass pointed at come on these man guys. and uh, yeah so we had to tell him to stop doing that uh, all this whole that, discussion. Old men that's not in the book. To be naked in the gym. What is? I don't get it. I used to go to a, a rec center, and this guy would be naked, brushing his teeth, and he'd put his dick and balls on the sink. Oh while, lord! And I was like, dude, come on! Not only do you not need to be naked while you're brushing and shaving or whatever, but you don't got to put your shit up on the counter. Come on, man! I'm not worried about myself as much as I am him. That's a very serious <laughs> infection risk. I mean, you put your fucking dick on the standing water in the sink. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, that is not a basin for your dick. I wonder if that's a conscious effort too, or if it's just happening. Like, do you think he does that for the feeling, or is it just like kind of goes along with being near the? Sink? I bet you, I bet you, he reached deep into that gooch and tucked them shits up and plopped them firmly. <laughs> yeah, on he probably has this massive dick and balls, and he's tired of carrying them shits around. He's like, at least while I brush my teeth, I'm gonna be fucking relaxing my dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention uh, the word, I figured this will be a trigger term, biohacking. And I think that's the kind of shit that we're seeing now. I can see the face James is making. Oh. Uh, but we're, we're hearing biohacking, all, like idiots like David Asprey. And there are obviously people out there who hate <laughs> giving attention to the stupid people at our industry. But, you know, comments on some of the, 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 the concept of biohacking in general or some of the weird shit that's coming out of that world. Mike, I've heard you rant on this. Take it away. Uh, you know, I'll give it off to you in a sec. Um, biohacking, you know, I've tried to plug a keyboard into my asshole, <laughs> but here's the problem. Usually I can't reach to type anything in because it's behind me. That's what's really, I think, preventing me from biohacking. Um, but on a serious note, you know, the, so uh, I remember reading an article at one point, uh, this was probably about six, seven years ago were a gentleman who probably spent a little too much time in Silicon Valley without thinking, um, basically rephrased all of our progression as a society into the terminology surrounding hacking. And he basically said that progress from here on out 
was going to be incrementally hacking various things and improving our way of life and that all progress really has been hacking to this point. Upon reading this, I realized that hacking was a nonsensical term that meant nothing to this man, because if it can mean everything, it means nothing by definition. So I think a lot of that kind of thinking, not necessarily reflected by the article, but the thing is he sold a lot of – or pe people downloaded the article a lot because it was – so hacking is so fucking cool. I mean you have like your yeah. your leather gloves with the fucking fingertips out. You have your backwards baseball 80s hat, your sunglasses on. There's like synth music playing in the background. It, it, you're doing something that sort he's, of involves Angelina Jolie somehow. You're and stealing shit. Betrayal. Right. Like hacking is the fucking shit. So – of course you want to fucking hack everything and hacking your biology. I mean, fuck, you're some kind of like, you like, uh, you're going to make like half man, half croc or some shit like that. Right. Like that. I hear that Jason really state the movie coming on here. Dude. Oi, I've killed enough man and crocs to kill half man, half croc. No fucking problem. <laughs> black cat. Um, but like we're huge Jason Statham fans, by the way. Um, so for good reasons, in, in any, for a good reason, because yeah. he's the fucking man. Yeah. But in any case, it was one of those things that hacking sounds so much fucking better than incrementally adjusting your strategies to get a little better. <laughs> uh, that yeah. people will just say hacking, and, and hacking has another connotation that uh, I'd like. I think James can expand on better than me. It's this. Um, it's this sort of underlying implication that what you're doing somehow subverts basic principles, that you've managed to get around basic principles, that you're getting something for nothing or for very little. And people love that shit as much as that shit is bullshit. James, man, you, you nailed it. I, that, that's the direction I was going to go. This whole hacking thing is kind of like you said, the connotation is like cheating, right? Where you're getting something for nothing. And it really just undermines uh, making progress, right? Progress in your training strategies, progress in your knowledge and your fatigue management strategies. What's wrong with taking the time to figure some of this stuff out and then implementing it and making incremental gains? This idea of biohacking is kind of uh, trying to get a short-term reward for very little effort, right? And the reality is not that none of that shit works. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. And the whole point of doing all this training stuff is to make progressive gains over the long term anyway and continually refine as you go. So there's nothing that you can do. There's no fucking Nintendo power glove that you can put on for yourself that's going to get you to bench 500 pounds. You know what I mean? It's well, like it's, it's only going to come from time spent under a barbell and eating well and resting well. Your, that's the only way that's going to Your boy work. Jason, he had a whole movie about – Something though, like he he took adrenaline and did a lot of fucking crazy shit. You tell me oh. the dying real crank. <laughs> he, he biohacked Dude. the shit out of that. Have you guys seen the Meg? No, oh. I was oh, gonna take my nephew to it. Why? <laughs> I looked. My nephew wanted to go to, to for his birthday to that, and I was like, why? Why <laughs> was it good? I'm I'm guessing you both love it because you both fucking. Yes, it was good. It's exactly what you think it is, well, that, but it doesn't I, take itself too seriously. You know what? That's that, that's the good thing about those movies. It's like Fast and the Furious. You know exactly what the fuck you're going for. See a bunch of shit. Exactly. Listen, listen, Dean, let's put it to you straight away. I'm going to tell you what the movie's about, and you tell me which part of that you think doesn't sound good. Jason Statham versus Giant Shark. Go. <laughs> What part of that don't you like? Are you triggered by some part of it? Well, it's kind of <laughs> like the, it's kind of like the clown thing, Mike. Remember, remember, we had this whole episode about it and how like yes. you're, like it, it's the same thing. It's about a clown who fucking kills people. Like what? That sounds great, doesn't it, Mike? Yeah. 
<laughs> it doesn't retrospect because I've seen it. And I got to give you props, Matt. I don't think I ever did. Um, I was asking you because you had seen it before me and I was asking you what you thought of it. And you said that it wasn't actually scary. It was hilarious. Yes. And I complete, I couldn't believe what you were saying. And then I actually went to go see it. And it was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It was not remotely scary. No. The clown is just a motherfucker that likes to have a good time pretty much. And he barely kills anyone. Like that whole haunted house thing. He just the kid breaks his arm only by falling. Like, and it, it's just it's just insane. I, I loved it, but it was like wow. This but is the kids, the kids are the best. They're making so many offside jokes. You're like you're not expecting. Amazing. Yes. Like yes. it's it's like how, like the kids don't even understand what they're saying when they're acting this out. Like I'm sure, but like it's there's awesome. no way. Like <laughs> no. They, they must have to give no. them context to it so that it's funny. Like I wonder how they have that conversation about some of the shit they say. Like hey, this is what we're trying to say. They're like, what's that? You're, you look back at the kid's mom that's on set. You're like, like ma'am, I'm, this is, hey, you signed the contract, so here we go. <laughs> it was um, great. I recently read a book. I, I'm not, you know what? I think I said it recently, but I'm not going to name this fucking stupid book. But I had to put it down halfway through. And it was full of shit like recommending nicotine for mental performance and like manipulating time in like super cold showers in the morning. A lot of other – it was total biohacking bullshit. And it was also basically a giant sales – pitch for you know supplements right and anyone who kind of knows what i'm talking about will figure out what, what, what book I'm is it about, but that fucking one you, right, you you hated yeah. on on facebook yeah I, I think i did fuck it i'll say it it's uh what is it own the day own your life it's like uh I'll remark what did you think, think what that was going to be about when one, you yeah. saw the title what do you think that was going to be about I don't know. I thought there might be something useful in it. And the only piece of – I said this on another podcast. The only useful piece of advice was uh, to drink a glass of water when you first get up in the morning. And even then, it was supposed to have like Himalayan salt and some lemon juice or something in it. That's so, useful advice? Well, the water part was. The rest of it was – How did you not know that already? <laughs> I don't know. Be hydrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was the only thing I took out of the first half of the book was the premise of getting hydrated first where you get up. That's how useful I found it. So, But you know mm. what? That stuff sells too. And I think that's also something we always come back to. We got you, we have to understand why this shit appeals to the mass market and why people are drawn to this crap. Um, because it Absolutely. makes a whole bunch of promises that simple shortcuts, quick fixes, uh, results without effort. You name it. And so it's something I always challenge. I had a sit-down conversation with Sohi Lee, Spencer Nadolsky, uh, Eric Helms, and Martin McDonald just this weekend. They were in town for an event. And we were talking about this. And I was telling Sohi how, you know, we've mentioned this before, how like people like her and Mark Fisher are the type of people who are marketable to the mainstream. And they're the people who are actually going to penetrate through and counter the message of the charlatans um, and the various celebrities who are preaching <laughs> I like charlatans. I love that word. It's a classic and word. That's, that's kind of what one of the things I'm hoping for is, is people like that. Jordan Syatt's another really good one. You want them to uh, penetrate the charlatans. But the, I, you know, you want to see yeah. them get on Oprah's couch and start countering the bullshit, right? So, You know, I was just talking to Mike about this because he had uh, – Joe Rogan had Lane on and I don't know if you guys listened yeah, to that three one. Hours. And I was I waiting. Yep. Yeah, I was waiting for him to put that the nail in the coffin with the carbs and sports stuff and he just never quite – got there and i was like you're killing me just say it say it already and he was like nope like individualization adherence which is fine but oh man i was disappointed i had to turn it off after a while i was just like nah not doing it for me they were being really nice to each other but they're uh, friends yeah. though they're friends though apparently aren't they like they went to school together yeah they're they're colleagues and friends yeah but like tell That's us what good. you really want to say but it's hard because he would have been a two two vs one like joe rogan would have just like mimicked everything he said yeah 
But you're right. You know, the, the stuff that tends to work really good in the industry is boring, right? Like if I wanted to sell you an excellent rugby strength conditioning program, I sure as fuck wouldn't be putting videos of me sitting there looking at my phone like, okay, go ahead, go again, do five picture perfect squats, and then we're going to sit around for another two or three minutes, right? Like nobody wants to see that. That's boring. It is boring, right? They want to see like what is cool, what kind of crazy BOSU ball, jump, medicine ball, crazy exercises are you doing? What are you doing that's different? What's CT so different? CT falling on his face in a pool of blood. That's different, yeah, though. Yeah, exactly. Very and, different. Uh, I, think, I think there's kind of a pursuit of novelty for the sake of novelty rather than the pursuit of success and progression, right? That's what we see a lot of. Just, Dean, yeah, let's, I, let's hit him up with the next question. Well, I guess we're going to just jump to something really cool. Like Andrew always likes to like find shit on your Facebooks and then we talk about it. But <laughs> J- James, I've creep. been criticized many times. But this one is actually cool. I, I like I saw this. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. So James, you, you had a quote from Sam Harris in the Chris Voss interview on like hostage negotiations. So quote, deception is just dumb. People get lured into deception because they are able to make short term gains. To which you said. Amazing how fitting that is in sports and exercise. So I guess the question is, how do you see this in our industry and what impact is that deception having on it? Holy shit. You want to talk about charlatans, right? Deception is (laughs) the name of the game. And I think probably the easiest, the one we can jump off on is weight loss, right? Everyone is looking for that magic fucking pill for weight loss. And how do I lose the most amount of weight with the least amount of effort in the fastest amount of time, right? Well, what does the data actually show on those strategies, right? There's like a 95% resurgence rate on that weight loss stuff, right? It's, it's abysmal. It's terrible. So if you are trying to get somebody to lose a ton of weight as fast as possible, you are very likely dooming them to failure in the long term. And this is like classic deception, right? Like, okay, well, I want to lose a bunch of weight. I want it right now. I don't want to put a lot of effort into it. Who is willing to sell me that? Somebody's willing to sell you that, right? The problem is, is you're going to lose that weight and put it right back on in the next couple months. We see this kind of stuff all the time. It drives me nuts. Uh, you're right over there, Mike. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, <laughs> doing something off camera. Can you guys see my dick? Or I, no? I, I could there see your is. whole. Oh, I could see your whole house. <laughs> you were giving us a tour, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, so it's just one of these things where, like, um, if you're getting into sport and exercise, you have to you have to own that it's going to be a lot of hard work, and you have to embrace that. You have to be somewhat introverted in saying, like, I want to get better, and I want to get better through my own efforts and accomplishments. If you are doing this just for external reasons, or if you just need to for health reasons, you need to lose weight. Don't fall into these traps of these charlatans. I can't now. I'm going to be saying that for the next week. Um, I like that word. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Don't be looking for the quick fix. There is no quick fix, right? This is pure deception. They are trying to get you what you want right now at the cost of what you want in the long term, and that's the big problem we see all the time. I think there's. I have no idea what Mike's doing, but I think Mike is urinating. <laughs> is that a first? That's fantastic. He definitely was peeing. That was a flush. Is it my first? time peeing like while on on a podcast like that like that was like half a second like how would you keep it so silent oh um i intentionally shoot the urine stream not into the water but into the walls of the toilet it still bounces back into the toilet at the right angle but it actually doesn't make a ton of sound also i have a micro penis so never really (laughs) like a ton of water coming out maybe you're overtraining man well, yeah, it used to be like a moderately sized, like a, like, like a decent human, like a humane penis, a fair sized penis. But now, nope. Um, I, I suppose there's one thing that's actually worth mentioning, too. Um, there's actually a lot of data and research that supports that 
losing weight, especially people who have a lot more weight to lose, losing it quicker is a good thing. You have to use strategies that will lead to sustainable lifestyle. That's the key. But yes, yes. the whole idea or anyone saying, because there's a traditional belief that you had to lose the weight slowly. There's actually several aspects to it where losing the weight quicker is a good thing. You just have to do it in such a way that you'll be able to continue versus water manipulations, a bunch of other bullshit. Also, uh, the motivational factor of, oh, fuck, I'm seeing results. That can be a very powerful thing for adherence to keep people going. So it's not that losing weight quicker is a bad thing. In fact, statistically speaking, it seems to actually be a good thing for individuals with a lot of fucking weight to lose. It's just that you have to find strategies that will keep you going. You can't just go right back to shit and sitting on the couch again. Yeah, totally. well, it's great for your health. Absolutely. Let me, uh, can I add to that? Is that okay for me to add to that? <laughs> Absolutely, Mike. That's why we brought you here. Okay, so everything you said was wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, and, you know, our uh, actually the Dr. James's fiance, Dr. Melissa Davis. It's all fucking doctors here at RP. Um, <laughs> she is an RP coach alongside us, and she's actually a trained neuroscientist, and she um, has a real good handle on the psychology aspects of all this stuff. And her and I just discussed some pertinent research, very, very related to this. Um, one of the things she likes to say. And she says this to her clients as well as in publications is there needs to be a very distinct phasic structure to losing weight when you're doing a lot of weight loss over the long term. There needs to be times where for several months you are on a diet, you're being strict, you are depriving, you're depriving yourself of various things. It is constrained. It is not all-inclusive. You can't be balanced. It is fundamentally out of balance because it is hypocaloric and, like you mentioned, should be profoundly hypocaloric, like half a percent body weight loss to a percent body weight loss per week. That's not a super slow pace. That's not a 0.25% per week kind of stuff. During those dieting phases, you got to push it and you got to push it hard. The good thing is, is like you said, they motivate you because they give you such great results. After your first dieting phase, you have to have a distinct phase in which you use some of the strategies, uh, lifestyle factors, making good meals, so on and so forth, being regimented about your eating, being regimented about schedule, about your sleep. Um, you have to use them but increase your calories so that you are at maintenance for, again, several months to reset all of the psychological and physiological things that predictably go out of whack when you lose a lot of weight. Once you're done with that maintenance phase and you feel and are operating pretty much close to normal again, then you can enter another regimented diet phase, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of ways to err. And, and so you do enough of these diets, maintenance, diets, maintenance, diet, maintenance, and eventually you lose 100 or 150 pounds or how much weight you lose. So what is not being said here is that if you want to lose 100 pounds, you should do it fast. The sprints of 20 pounds at a time are fast, relatively speaking, you know, three months or so for each one. But there is tons of interval in between there where you're readjusting to your new settling point every single time. So the net total weight loss is going to actually be a slow process. But one linear, long, slow process is a terrible way to do it. And what has to be done is fast, uh, descents into a deficit, and then uh, nice, long, solid maintenances, whatever. Everything is way to do. And there's tons of ways to fuck that up. The most early way to fuck it up was, of course, 
uh, when people said, like, you know, dieting is stupid. It's just about lifestyle change. Well, lifestyle change is nice, but if you just incrementally do lifestyle change, you lose weight so slow that you'll give up and you'll just never really uh, – and they've shown this in studies a ton. Like, if you're not seeing results, you just quit. Um, on the other hand, the opposite uh, approach of that is just to try to lose, like, 50 kilograms over the course of a year and then just just burn out like crazy and rebound, which is, you know, uh, definitely something that tons of people have done. I don't know if you guys have seen the sort of uh, uh, summary of the biggest loser contestants, but I believe yes. every single one of them or every single one but one ever has rebounded to their initial weights, which is like and, and most of them are heavier now than they used to be, which yeah. is like, God damn. Like, so, so when we say we want to lose weight fast, that's within reason, within about 10 percent body weight loss, after which you take a nice long break to maintain those losses. It does not, you know, you know, just losing 50 kilos all at the same time. So we have to be basically in this regimented way of thinking where you have distinct phases. The analogy here is kind of like the work week analogy. Um, you go to work Monday through Friday, you do a fucking good job, you get there on time, uh, and everything's great. And then the weekend you really fucking relax and you really recharge <laughs> so you could be better at work. Completely mixing the weekend and the work week, like being lazy at work, but also working on Saturday and Sunday is kind of a bad way to do both of those things. So there's like a phasic structure to a lot of life, including that just the example I just gave where there's a time and a place for both things. Both are important, but not at the same time. With dieting, it's the same way. When you're dieting, go hard, go strict, sustainably in the sense that you're building good habits, but not sustainably in the sense that you're going to just keep this calorie deficit up forever. Then go to maintenance phase, relax more, recover and then sequentially get into those things again. Both both extremes are bad. Trying to lose all the weight at once is a bad idea, super fast. And on the other hand, just trying to forget about the scale, forget about dieting, you'll just get fucking nowhere. You know how they do reunion shows for things like Survivor sometimes? Uh, I was like saying this. They've never done a reunion show for The Biggest Loser. There's a reason why. Like that would be disappointing as fuck. Hosted at Golden Corral. <laughs> well, when the, show, when the show is Actually, over, it, they should It would do. make for great TV ratings. I just don't think it would serve their long-term agenda. And, Mike, you mentioned a couple of things there. Your, your work was cited a couple times in this event. So it's the L2 Fitness Summit. There's a second one. You actually spoke at the first one. So uh, Dr. Spencer Adolski and Sohili, I they, think they both mentioned you. Uh, they talked about your settling point stuff. But they also mentioned how... You'd been talking recently about, I guess, there's research that you have more success by eating food that isn't necessarily as enjoyable. And I think that ties in with what you've just been saying. Totally. So, like, as you get deeper and deeper into the tail end of these diet phases, you get hungrier and your calories are restricted. And the thing is, if you're eating really tasty food, you just get very little of it and it pisses you off and it makes you want more. But if you're <laughs> eating really calorie sparse, you know, voluminous food that is not so great, then you, eating seems to be like more like a job. And then it, you don't tend to become as food focused. And then you don't have a ton of rebound cravings. You sort of finish the diet and then slowly reintroduce tasty foods as your metabolism and your meat catch back up. And it's kind of a win, 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 win. The thing is, when people diet and they lose more weight, they start to crave more tasty foods. But remember, your cravings are designed to keep you heavy. That is their purpose. So people be like, yeah, I kind of, you know, I see where Mike's coming from and the food palatability stuff, but I really want to eat tastier foods on it. Well, motherfucker, I want to eat more food than I'm allowed to on a diet. That doesn't mean I should. So a lot of people follow their instincts into bad places with this kind of stuff. Awesome. I love getting Mike going on this stuff. We alluded to this earlier, so I'm going to ask this one. Um, more and more, I mean, we're seeing depolarization when it comes to social, political stuff everywhere. It's fucking all oh over social boy. media. Yeah, media. buddy. <laughs> but let's, let's actually bring it back into the fitness world. So we're seeing a lot of fitness professionals. I know Cressy Sports Performance are, are very famous for this. They just don't take any 
they're people they just don't have any public statements on it they have their beliefs but they just don't go there they don't make it about social stuff they make it about the training i guess uh offending you know half your audience is probably a bad business approach but yet a lot of other people in our industry they're making a lot of their their identity their brand about their social stances or their politics even um i want to see what mike had to think and james you can weigh in as well on this one about you know what's the danger of doing this as a fitness professional especially kind of newer people into the industry who aren't as established uh when they tackle they take very strong positions on issues sure well you know um I'll say a couple of things. I'm right. Everyone else is wrong, but it's because they're stupid and I'm brilliant. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that out there just as a statement of fact. Bar- you know, Bar- glad, you glad you're above that. average. <laughs> I thought you guys would find that funny, but you guys can go fuck yourself. Well, no, it's just, we're, we're used to hearing that. Like, and I, I believe you say it enough, like, so it's out there, but you're like, oh, it's just a joke. But really, like, you're saying it enough times that you kind of believe it a little bit. Well, that, but that's what it sounds like when people say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is what it sounds like when people take those stances. That's exactly what they're kind of saying. Uh, for sure. Just up sort of way. So, so yeah, um, there's a, a couple of interesting points to address in this uh, sort of topography here. Um, fundamentally, if you make it your business to get people in shape and fit and healthy and better at sport and you enjoy making money and less than the money, enjoy helping the most number of people, you're going to want to make the majority of your outlay or outlays uh, of basically your product, your what you're doing every day related to your field. Like a lot of people post, not a lot, some people see, call themselves fitness professionals but seem to post almost entirely political content. You know, we're over here reading research reviews. We don't have time for that shit, man, and we're designing products. Um, and I don't mean – by we, I mean most of the industry. Um, we don't really – they have a ton of time for political stuff. I think the occasional political thing here and there is t- totally fine, and it's at individual's discretion. But like, it's kind of like as a hobby. But it's kind of interesting to see people who are saying they're investing as much as they can into helping these clients, but it seems ninety percent of their investment seems into political stuff. And you're like, well, what do you know about actual fat loss and muscle gain? They're like, oh, you know, the basics. You're like, well, you seem to know a lot more than the basics about politics <laughs> or you know, very <laughs> social justice stuff. Which, not to say it's not important, but it's just interesting that uh, those, those folks happen to be in a field where maybe they would be more at home in sociology or something like that. Um, so, so that's one interesting thing. So, I think almost by definition, that means that um, you know, if someone asks the question of you know, some people have very important issues and some of these issues are very important and they'll say, why aren't more people in fitness speaking up about these important issues? And the, fundamentally the answer is because they're fucking busy doing fitness shit. You know what I mean? Like just, just plain and simple. It's, that's what they do. Um, here's another factor. Um, Thomas Sowell, who is, you know, essentially a godlike figure, um, economist, social theorist, um, basically, I, I believe coined the term intellectual fallacy, and that is people with one area of expertise assume that because they're experts in one area, they automatically uh, can arrive at very easy expertise in an unrelated field, uh, even in a related field that's just a bit off. And very well documented fallacy, um, academics especially susceptible to it, you know, a mathematician will sort of wax about sociology and so on and so forth. So I think as fitness professionals commenting up on p- political things and sociological things, we have to be really careful we know what the fuck we're talking about because it can be really easy to think, well, I know a lot about this stuff. 
Um, oh, I'll just Google a couple things and do a couple PubMed searches, and all of a sudden I can talk about social theory. Well, you're probably making really embarrassing mistakes that a lot of professionals in the field would, would just be like just nodding their heads. This particularly tends to happen with economics. Um, when uh, fitness people or any other profession really uh, talk about economics, they're like, you actually have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Or um, weed stocks. So, so, say what? Weed stocks in Canada. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. So so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you got to be careful. Um, and then sort of, uh, not lastly, but the third point is, I think uh, from a PR perspective, if you alienate half or more of your clientele, uh, by making uh, you know politics a very central part of your brand and, and, and being very aggressive with politics, um, man, that's a tough way to help as many people as you can. Um, James and I don't like to wax nostalgic on, the, on social media much anymore, in large part because we sort of represent – we have a responsibility – as public-facing parts of RPE, to something like 30 other employees that, that draw their livelihood from our company. We're not going to throw our company under the bus uh, to talk about shit we like to talk about that has nothing to do with these fucking people, you know, because we do represent RPE. So we kind of have to shut the fuck up more often than not because it's none of our it's not our business to make to represent our, our other employees and in the interests of the company. And never mind all that shit, we don't want to do a lot of that stuff because you're just going to alienate a shitload of people that we could potentially help. And Mike, Wi-Fi cut out. Oh. Listen more than they preach. Uh, and, and that's really, really good stuff. But most of the political discussions don't tend to follow that template. And, uh, you know, that ends up causing a lot of people to lose maybe half of their marketplace, maybe more. James and I, if I may speak for James, are basically libertarians to a large extent. Mm -hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, James. Uh, nope, I um, totally agree. But so, so, you know, the percent of libertarians in the United States, Canada, and most of the Western world is like 5%, maybe 10%. I mean, if we just took a hardline libertarian agenda, we would hate almost everything conservatives and liberals ever put out, and we would literally have no fucking friends anymore and no no customers either. Like you know, if we made everything purely about politics, and and um, I'll finish with one last thing, and this is something that uh, uh, Dave uh, Rubin has talked about on his show. It's a very good show, um, and he's very libertarian minded. Is that politics lately has seemed to in infiltrate so much of life that it's actually refreshing to see things that are just not political. Um, so I used to make a lot of political posts on social media and all they got me was a ton of debate that went pretty much nowhere. Mm -hmm. I've actually pretty much sworn off almost all, if not all political posting on social media for pretty much for good, because it's good to have a place where we come together and talk rationally about stuff that just has nothing to do with politics. And we get enough fucking politics everywhere else. So that's, um, those are my well, thoughts. On that. That's why I wanted to, to have you hear you say, cause I knew you'd have a very intelligent perspective on it. And like you guys, I tend to think very libertarian as well, but, uh, yeah, like well, I, I look at this. You, let's say you've got a, a gym or a coach who deals with young athletes. And let's say it's football players or whatever. You know a lot of those football players are coming out of the Midwestern America. And, and guess what? A lot of Midwestern America probably voted in a way that there's a lot of people thinking that they have the moral high ground to say those people are idiots. If you take that stance and you offend the parents of all these kids who are coming to pay your bills, I think it's a very bad business decision. So I, I think big picture, if you really care about helping those kids or, or the people that you want to help, and guess what? I don't even want to fucking say this, but there's a lot of Trump voters out there who need to lose weight. And, uh, you know, they're still humans, depending on what you think about. There's them. a lot of people need so, to lose weight in general. 
yeah, like so many people need to lose weight. And I just, like you said, I, I think it's a terrible business decision to take one really hard stance. And, you know, and I think a lot of people are very, very convinced that, you know, they have the moral high ground and I'm not going to debate that aspect of it. But, you know, I think if you're really concerned with helping a lot of people and making money and being successful, then you got to tread a little carefully there. But I think a really good example we can see from this is uh, with the NFL and guys uh, taking a knee during the national anthem, regardless of how you feel about that. Uh, there was a lot of people who were pissed off about it. Some people were happy and said, like, oh, you're standing up for what you believe. A lot of people were fucking rednecks and being like, what are they doing? This America, damn it. But I think the majority of people who were pissed off were pissed off because they're here to watch football, not there to watch a political statement, right? Like that person, those people who make millions of dollars per year can do philanthropy. They can do all sorts of things that promote their cause. But when it's Sunday night, Monday night, it's football time, no one wants to see your bullshit. They want to see you run up and down the field and kill people, right? They don't want to hear what you have to say about politics. They're there to watch you do what you do best, and football is that case. And now the NFL is taking a lot of shit for it. They don't even show the national anthem in a lot of the games anymore because of the backlash from that. So it's a, I think that really just kind of is a good example of what you're saying, like keep – the expertise in your wheelhouse and don't branch out because it's going to alienate a lot of people. Yeah. And if you do branch out, you know, if you really are interested in politics, particularly in making a change, it works the same way with politics as it does in any other field in which you want to have a big impact. First, you have to get an education of what the fuck you're talking about, what's going on. That may already change some of the views you held once held dear. And then after that, you want to take meticulous approaches, careful, thoughtful approaches with a lot of nuance in order to try to cause changes in the political landscape from point A to point B. And it's going to be tough and it's going to require a lot of work and it's going to require a lot of thought, uh, sort of virtue signaling or just posturing on your own social media platform related to fitness about politics sometimes is a very good thing and very needed, but oftentimes tends to be one of these things like, I'll just, I'll just cut to the chase and give you a, so a flat out kind of prototypical example. People will, uh, you know, uh, use their social media platforms of fitness to say something, you know, about, let's say, social justice or about war or, or the economy or something like that or morality. And the thing is, uh, if they really cared about that issue, they would do considerably more research to find out that their opinion is some combination of invalid and preposterous on its face. Uh, most of the people who, you know, are like, well, this is I'm concerned about X, Y, Z. Uh, this is I, I don't make these comments almost ever. Every now and again, I do to friends. I almost want to say, like, you're not even going to begin to understand how wrong you are when I present you with five of the following fallacies that you just exhibited in your opinion. And if people are receptive, then now, of course, there's very nice ways of saying that, very mean ways of saying that. But even if you say that to them very nice, they're going to realize, like, oh, holy shit, like, fuck, man, I'm just kind of embarrassed I had an opinion about this altogether. I thought this was this clear moral right and wrong, and I was on the side of the angels. And it turns out there's so much fucking nuance to this issue, and it's like, welcome to the real world. Right. So if, if you're very passionate about politics and social justice and change, I think you're fundamentally that shows that you're a really fucking awesome person. And you give a shit. What I think the next step is do a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of thinking and think of ways intelligently, respectfully to convince other people to try to do better. And, and that convincing thing is a real big problem, because a lot of the time when people sort of rant about this kind of stuff, um, they're really ranting only to their own people that agree with them. Yeah. Uh, and in, in, and they're actually like, uh, there's a couple individuals on social media, which say th things that are so fucking wrong politically, it just doesn't even begin to, you know, describe it. And I'm actually thankful that they're doing it in such an unbelievably abrasive way, 
because these terrible ideas, they're inoculating society against them by being by converting more people away from that terrible idea than actually talking about like, so for example, let's say you're really against Marxism, right? Uh, what Antifa is doing is clearly a pro-Marxist organization is inoculating the country against Marxism because they stand for Marxism and they're making complete idiots out of themselves, attacking random people for no fucking reason, burning shit down. So if you were going to consider Marxism and someone really thoughtful came to you and said, hey, look, you know, the structure of society is this and this, consider Marxism, be like, wow, that's really cool. I might read into it. But if an Antifa person you told you you were a piece of shit just because you were happy to walk down the street at a university when they were setting shit on fire, um, you'd be like, wow. rally it's it's like can you guys hear me still yeah, yeah. we're good like it, it, it's hilarious like the people that are the most proud of being part of the white race are the underachievers of white people by the longest margin it's like a bunch of fucking hillbilly fucking redneck idiots like tell you what man fucking white race right motherfucker if you're part of the white race count me the fuck out you know what i mean so it's one of those things like if, if this is the best argument they have for being fascists or nazis like Please, please, let's watch more of these people because it's going to inoculate everyone against taking them seriously. So if you are of a political opinion of some kind and, and you're of a kind that is going to be good for all of us, not Marxism or Nazism, um, then do due diligence to try to converse with people, reach out to people in respectful ways to get real thoughtful conversations going as opposed to just being like, well, you're a piece of shit. Like you get like um, – like uh, social justice warriors will be like, um, your views are problematic, or uh, maybe it's problematical, depending on how many words you want to make up. And 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 uh, people are like, I don't even know what the fuck that means, and they can't explain it because they're just so mad. And then you get like the alt right guys that are like, you're a degenerate, and it's like, what the fuck does degenerate mean? They're like, I don't know, I think Hitler used it or something. <laughs> so it, it's it's like you know these people do a whole lot of yelling and proclaiming that they are good people and everyone else is bad, but very little convincing. It's good that the extremists are doing that, but if you're not a crazy radical extremist and you want good change for society, you deeply care about women's rights, about uh, racism, about social justice, it's, it's a good idea to think about this stuff a lot. And, and, and when you're talking to people, be open to listening and, and be open to communicating in respectful ways because the only way you're going to convince anyone of fucking jack shit. But that's like a full-time job, like you said, though. So, like, it goes back to that exactly. whole, so like, what are you doing? Training people or doing that shit? We don't have enough time to do that because we're training. But then if you want to do that, you probably should train less and go fucking do that. And it's just to do it right, you have to put the time in, which if we think about the time we put into our respective industries, like that's a fucking long time. Two right, quick so thoughts. Two quick right. thoughts. One, uh, when you know anyone's asking, well, where does Mike have any uh, you know authority to speak on Marxism? Mike fled uh, communist Russia as a child because it wasn't safe for his family to be there. So I think that qualifies him at least on some extent. And then two, what we see a lot of, you mentioned about searching out information from sources and learning about these things. Uh, and you said like, echo chamber. Uh, just don't live within an echo chamber of only the sources that confirm your bias. Um, mm -hmm. Absorb a diverse array of information, speakers, and, and knowledge uh, so that way you just don't find things that confirm the, your your generally more extreme view of the world for sure and, and just just to sort of clarify something really quick you know i don't even proclaim to be uh you know thank you for the kind words and all that and you know my experience in, in the soviet union does lend a little bit of more knowledge to, to what's going on but i wouldn't proclaim myself an authority on marxism and as a matter of fact that proclamation is unnecessary what i do know is that i know a considerable amount about marxism 
and, and that is not a statement of, of fact that I don't want tested. I would love for it to be tested. I would love to engage in an intellectual discussion of Marxism, its merits as well as its demerits. I, I promise you, I, I can I can take that intellect yeah, that conversation very very deeply. Uh, but only because I know a ton of shit, only because I've taken years to read about it as a fucking ridiculous hobby. Not a lot of people have economics as a hobby, but, you know, I don't have that many friends. So it's one of those things where, you know, to the extent that you've read up on something and to the extent that you know something, you have that much more value to add to conversations and that much more to learn from other people. It's, it, you know, it's not about um, – a lot of people are like, well, who are you to say this? It's not who are you to say this. It's I want to hear from everyone. But once you have voiced your opinion, it's going to become very clear if you have done your reading or have not done your reading. And I'm never going to reply back to you, well, you don't – you clearly are not an authority. The reply is going to be like, well, um, if you're interested, here are some things about what you said that are a little bit confusing. I'd like for you to clarify them for me. And there's 10 points where you super fucked up and you're like, oh, fuck, this guy just fucking – just opened me up, man. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know anything. Why the fuck did I comment on this sort of thing? Right. So, um, it's one of those things where there's a lot of proclamations of I'm a good person. I'm an authority. I know what I'm talking about. I'm against bad things and very little nuanced discussion of, okay, let's assume everyone's for good things. And maybe we just disagree on what those good things are slash how to get there. But very little of that discussion because those kinds of discussions actually require a lot of investigation. They require a lot of killing your own ego to some extent. Like if, if I'm going to talk to someone, if I'm going to talk to a Marxist and be willing to hear benefits of Marxism, I'm going to have to sh straight up forget my shit in the Soviet Union or how much emotionally painful that is for me. But that is sort of the quintessential landmark of a mature individual, someone who's willing to test their views against what possibly could be the truth. And, and so many people just not willing to do that. You know, it's so great to post a fucking banal as fuck status on social media and be like, I'm against hate. And, and 150 people like it and some girls like, oh, Jesse, you're so great. I love that you're like so brave. Like, get the fuck out of my face. Like, uh, you know. Jesse didn't say better. that. Jesse fuck, didn't say yeah. that. Je well, you know, Jesse's mom, uh, however. <laughs> She's got it going on. Let's be clear. She hit the heart. Her, her, she hit the heart, not the like, though. So that's oh, different. Oh, boy. Then you're like, oh, my yeah. God, Jesse's mom hit the heart. What does that mean? Should I message her? Is it off limits? So anyway, I hope that made some sense. Many times it says, James, do you even want to go anywhere near any of that shit? <laughs> I avoid it like the plague. Um, but just to speak to to one of your points about like being in an echo chamber and surrounding yourself with like-minded people, um, even within your wheelhouse, that's a bad idea. If uh, yeah. if Mike and I agreed 100% on everything, our products wouldn't be you know what they are today. They're not. They wouldn't be as good. Why? Because we would make the same errors all the time. Mike and I have a really great working relationship where we understand like the fundamentals of most things that we're talking about but we don't always agree on every little aspect and that really helps us refine our thoughts our processes and make sure that we're always on track and i know that's not talking about politics but it kind of goes to the same idea where um part of the experience of being in college besides the bureaucracy is to be exposed to new ideas different opinions and that's supposed to help your critical thinking skills and your ability to refine your positions into more accurate or into better more well thought out ones so I think it's a really important thing to have some diversity in uh, your colleagues and your friends and, and some people just so that you don't fall into that same trap of like, oh, yeah, we agree on everything and we, we make the same type one errors all the time. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Like so, you know, when James – so pretty much every product I design, whether it be a book or a template or whatever, goes to James at some point and he like just cuts it into fucking shreds. And it goes to multiple people in our company that do the same thing. It just happens to go to James first pretty much. Um 
you know, the thing is, the reason I send it to him is because I deeply respect what he thinks. And I know he's coming from a good place. And that good place is I better damn well be right about this because we're not selling a fucking shitty product to people. James isn't intentionally trying to, like, stump me or be like, well, I mean, do you think I'm RV's 18 versus 20 sets? Like, none of that dumb shit at all. He literally has best interests in mind. And if he's giving me criticisms, I can be sure that they require – I may not agree with them. We may go back and forth and one of us – you know, we might come to a consensus somewhere in the middle, a consensus with one of our two points. Or we may, you know, say like, well, you know, clearly James might be like, you know what? I misunderstood that. You're totally right. Or I may be like, holy shit, you totally fucked me up. I really got this wrong. Thank you for saying it. It doesn't matter how it ends up. The thing is that process, we're both interested in getting towards the truth. There is no egotistical bullshit between us where we're like, oh, you're just saying that because you're – pro recovery guy or something right <laughs> doesn't mr recovery over here is afraid to train that joke has so, come right. up though for sure yeah for it's sure, a good so. it's a good faith effort right like a la sam harris we're both trying to get towards something and not trying to deceive or dominate each other we, we both have the same goal in mind despite yeah. if we have differences well, we've got uh, we've tied up a lot of your time, so we've got a couple more quick things we want to get at you. Mike's been here before, so he knows the drill about we ask for a, a book, and it's worth mentioning kind of you know some of the stuff you guys have been working on. I think you guys have a book upcoming. I saw some posts, so just memory's blurry. So you want to tell us about that, and maybe just a book, uh, James certainly, but Mike, you can chime in with one too. Something that's been influential for you, uh, and we're not allowed to cite research papers anymore. <laughs> yeah, some guests. Read, read research Too many PhDs that only read research yeah. papers. I'm sorry. Not, is, is there okay. anything that you've really enjoyed you'd recommend to anyone else, a book you read? Uh, I actually just did the audiobook version of 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, and I did uh, Better Angels of Our Nature by uh, Steven Pinker. Both were excellent. Uh, a lot of it's stuff that you might already know, but it's put very eloquently, and uh, the Steven Pinker one is some st statistics on society that will kind of just give you a good mind fuck. Um, both are excellent. But the 12 rules is kind of erring on the side of a political view at this point. Like people have taken polarizing views on just that whole side of the <laughs> equation. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can ignore some of the stuff about like patriarchy and religion. But uh, a lot of the take home messages are kind of like if shit's wrong with your life, own it and only you can make it better. So a lot of like the, the, the fundamentals of the book are great. And if you if you don't like his political stance, you can kind of sweep it under the rug and still get a lot out of the book. Be a lobster. Lobster, yeah. Be fucking claws, fuck. lobster section. Yeah. <laughs> Mike? Us? Yeah, you know, I've been reading the Satanic Bible. Let me tell you, it's a lot of stuff in there that just totally resonates. Killing of the weak and innocent, consumption of living flesh. I mean, just, you know, like a daily shit that really you can just start putting into your life. Someone's going to listen to that and think he's fucking dead serious. Um, I've been trying to, every time I do an interview or a seminar, I try to put in a satanic reference. Um, what's it called? What book would I recommend? Um, can I recommend a research review instead of a book? It's not okay, a paper. Fuck up. Right. No, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I just recently subscribed to James Krieger's okay, research review, okay. um, weightology.net. Um it's unbelievable. It, it, yeah. And it's always updated. Uh, frequency. There's a frequency Bible, um, a volume Bible, tons of shit about fat loss, health. Um, <laughs> basically, if you want someone who knows the, uh, the science front to back yeah. to keep you updated on all the developing science in our fields of fitness, then or signing up for that research review is one of the best fucking things you can do. We, we, we simply don't have an analogous product at RP 
And until and unless we do, which we probably never will, I'm just going to recommend stuff like his, you know, as other guys doing it, like Greg Knuckle, so on and so forth. They put out really good stuff. But um, James Krieger is consistent in a way that is, is just incredible. Mm. And it's just unbelievable stuff. If you start reading the review, you know, don't do it at night because you'll just be up for the rest of the night because the tabs are too fun. To, there's just so much knowledge there. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe this and shit is We had great. him and Brad Dieter on, I think, about three weeks ago. So if you're one of um, these guys' listeners, go check that one out. And you can kind of... You can kind of see the smartness coming through the podcast, and it, it shows through their, their products. Yeah, and it just just for the record, like James Krieger and I were not associated financially. As a matter of fact, James Krieger and I have been personally kind of at odds. We was in Australia. We actually got into a fist fight, and he knocked me the fuck out. Uh. Uh, yeah, it was really bad. He attacked me for what seemed to be no reason. A lot of the people are just James is just an aggressive guy. It's just how he is. I think I looked at him wrong or something. Yeah, you're trying but to lobster he, out lobster him, and he said, "Fuck no." Just yeah, boom. he's like, "What the fuck?" He, he, he spit at me. It was really intense. So it's man. clamping his claws. He's that. just like, "No, man, we're going straight to the head." That's it. That's it. It was fucked up. Yeah. But the reviews were on that trip. Yeah, we're, seriously, James, you left just a couple days earlier. You left me behind to be fucking, you know, just bat and, and battered. I, that's what I was. I was battered, James. I cried out for you. How name. battered could you be in Melbourne? It's like hipster central. Well, James Krieger is from the United States. <laughs> they import their criminals. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing that there forever. They, yeah, the surgeon, when I woke up in the ICU, the surgeon's like, did an American do this to you? I was like, sir, I don't remember. But other people told me that, yes, it was, in fact, James Krieger. <laughs> <laughs> the the jiu-jitsu just didn't work, eh? It's supposed to work. I was like, Kia, and all of a sudden I woke up in the ICU. James is just a badass. Yeah. Like, it's a whole new... Yeah. Yeah. They've never gotten an apology from him. He just... I heard he put on sunglasses as soon as that fight was over and walked off. Just see you later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make James listen to this. He's going to cry laughing. Please don't, because he'll just hit me. He'll hurt me again. You know what? He probably just didn't even like just so casually just walked away like it's over. He probably doesn't remember my name. He beats up so many people daily just out of a fucking whim that he was like, ah, just another guy. Yeah. He got the review he wanted, though. He's like, you better fucking plug my shit wherever. I just remember that. Mm -hmm. Just remember, I'm coming for you. Yeah. Okay. Let's kind of finish this off, and we'd like to just say, um, where can our audience kind of consume both you? We kind of already, well, Mike... Consume, both of us. Consume consume and penetrate your defenses to kind of get your knowledge, to consume your knowledge after penetration. Where can people find you online? (laughs) Andrew, he knows. We're just trying to go somewhere very offside, just see if everyone's laying down what we're throwing, you know? They do. You're going to penetrate uh, your defenses. Dean, I like that after you, you said that whole thing, you kind of looked off to the left of the screen to the distance like, God damn it, what the fuck was I saying? Yeah, that was my... Uh, there's something to do with mannerisms. That blink, like, left side, I'm looking like I'm lying, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck. That wasn't a very logical... No. 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 James? Well, uh, Mike and I actually do a weekly webinar every week where people can tune in live or they can post questions in our forum on RP Plus, and we uh, answer questions 
live every week. So people always send in about an hour to two hours worth of questions on anything, diet, training, recovery, nutrition, all that stuff related. And we, we do our damnedest to give a pretty good answer each time. And it seems to be going really well. So that's usually our go-to place is called uh, RP plus on our Renaissance periodization website. If you like our shenanigans, you can hear us rant and rave every week. There's also like dozens of college courses full of lecture materials about all the basic exercise and sports science classes. And we're adding a bunch all the time. So we literally sort of slowly building this library of like basically sport physiology, biomechanics, exercise physiology, psychology of, of diet, so on and so forth. All of these are already and even more are going to become courses, which each have like 10 to 12 one hour plus lectures covering the entire meat and potatoes of the course by experts in the field. Um, some of these people work for RP. Some of them are contracted in as professors from other places to do videos for us. So if you sign up for RP Plus, which is 10 bucks a month, you get infinite access to all of those. There's actually, we did some math. Like, unless you have no job, there's no way to catch up to all the material. So just be watching it for the rest of your life. Is, um, is, <laughs> that's is, a is James Krieger going to make a guest appearance lecture? So when you say that name, it triggers me because <laughs> I start to get flashbacks of things I thought I, the concussion erased. Um, mostly the hateful things he said to me when I was on the ground. You didn't, the, you didn't the, divulge those. What were they? What the, what the things they said? What did he say he to you? Were? Did he whisper to you while you're there laying on the ground? You know, mostly he just, um, just reminded me of my mortality is the best way I can put that. He's like, oh, you big jujitsu badass. How come you're bleeding out of your face? And I, I remember saying, cries, please don't hit me again. Yeah, I was begging. Have you ever, Dean, have you ever had to beg for your life? It's really unflattering to He to whispered to you, he's like, I could end you. Like, if this, if I wanted to kill you, your life would be over. Just There was just a take... lot of whispering. It was just the most disturbing thing you can think of. Man, I wish that would have made mm -hmm. World Star. That would have just blew up. Like, World that would have, you guys would have been on Joe Rogan. That whole thing with Lane and fucking Keto Guy wouldn't have happened. It would have been you two. Oh, yeah, man. if he sat on the other side of the desk with Joe, I would be. Uh, there's enough room for me to run, but I would never <laughs> sit on the same side of the table with that man. <laughs> Unless, of course, he insisted, and then I would have to because I'm still so afraid of him. I'll do whatever he says. I love you. I was going to get an email that was like, Mike was talking mad shit about you on this podcast the other day. He's going to be like, what? Just cease and, <laughs> cease and desist. Like, yeah, stop telling it. people this. Like, this isn't yeah. the first time you've said this story either. Like, I have a yeah, feeling. Like the, po the police shows up to his door and, like, oh, somebody <laughs> basically reported that you've been abusing people. He's like, what? what? <laughs> and then we're going to see the news. Like, you know, scientist James Krieger, you know, maims five police officers and crashes helicopter in chase still at large you're like god damn it i knew we should have never unleashed him on the government and then we're going to see all the political posts right like all these exercise physiologists are part of the white patriarchy that's right each other up. exactly exactly and you know what it's a commonly uh, sort of missed fact all of the born movies were based loosely on james krieger's childhood um <laughs> But they, when they originally had the transcripts of like basically what happened as childhood, the story, the producers and directors had to like tone it down because it was way, way more impressive in real life. It's just that you wouldn't be able to follow movements that quick on screen. Slash, some of this is just not really unbelievable. So then they just toned it down and they got born supremacy, identity, whatever fuck else, patriarchy. The, 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 born one, patriarchy. They started with the books first, <laughs> so like that's oh man, I didn't even know that. Like that's fucking insane. See, this is why we do this types of thing. Like for our yeah. listeners, this is why we. Do the podcast so we can learn new stuff that's never hit the airwaves and that's kind of You're what welcome. we bring table yeah 
Like this, that's well, the this, first. This was entertaining. So if anybody else was looking for this, they're both on Instagram. Just just type in their names. Thanks, you can Andrew, find them. Or follow Renaissance Periodization on Instagram or go to their website. It's all really great stuff. Uh, hopefully, anyone who stuck around through all that bullshit, uh, you really enjoyed this. If you're finding us for the first time, we mentioned, again, there's a couple of James Krieger episodes. If you want to find out more about like how terrifying he is, uh, we've had Mike on twice before. Uh, Mike's Mike's first episode was like our like eighth or ninth. And it was one of the top downloaded episodes of all time. So he Lee is number one all time. Yeah, she whooped beat your ass. You, so. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Holly you, Baxter, number two. Spencer yeah, Nolski, number ass. three. And I think you're number four still. You got to so. step it up, Mike. Come on. You got and, Spencer uh, out lobster. You like that? Uh, Mike Mike is has trouble navigating his technology, so we'll give him a pass. Yes, he does. But guys, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Uh, Mike James, thank you so much for coming on here. This was um, too too funny. And uh, yeah, if you guys really liked it, we're looking for some more shares, more subscribes. We want to reach more people. We want to help more people. It, it's not inane rambling bullshit all the time, but uh, sometimes we actually put useful information in here too. So guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Shut up and sit down.